0: Uh, We're going to be looking at Psalm 19. So if you've got your Bibles, grab those. I'm going to read this and then we'll pray together before we dive in. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I'll be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a great psalm. Let us pray to our great God as we dive in. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are the God that speaks to us and we get to hear from you this morning, wherever that is that we've tuned in. And so, Father, I pray that right now you'd be continuing to prepare our hearts, soften them, open our ears, that we would come and behold you and we come to see more and more of what you're like. Please do this for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus's precious name. Amen. Well, I know that there are some times in life and there are some moments in life where many of us will have asked the question or are potentially forced to ask the question, where is God? Where is God when when life is really hard? Where is he when finances are tight, when school is difficult, when people are sick and hurting? Where is he when this coronavirus, this cloud of this COVID-19 situation is just hanging over us? It feels like God's not there. It, It feels like it's just darkness. Maybe you've tuned in and and you love Jesus, but you're struggling to see where is God in in this dark situation? Or maybe you've tuned in and you're sceptical to the whole idea about God. Let me just say it is great that you've clicked on. Thank you for joining us. But perhaps you're thinking, if, if God's there, why doesn't he show himself? I mean, why doesn't he just reveal himself? Because at the moment in this present situation, it just feels like God is playing this game of hide and seek. Where is he? Nowhere to be seen. Well, let me just say that as we come to Psalm 19, one of these gems in the book of the Psalms, the Psalter, we see God's witness of himself. We see God speaking. We see how God has chosen to reveal himself. And so let's take a look at Psalm 19. 19. First up in this psalm, we see that God has chosen to reveal himself through creation, through nature. Open your Bibles. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. See, right here, there's echoes from Genesis 1, where, where God made the heavens, where God made everything. And the word heavens is another word to describe the, the, scar, the stars, the galaxies, the sky. God made this world in which we live. God made the, the pattering rain that I saw spitting on our neighbor's roof from my office this week. God made the river that I saw on my run that was covered in this wispy, white fog, or on the bank you could see the outline of some trees. God made the smallest flower, knowing every petal and its intricate colour palette. He made the blazing stars and the galaxies that smatter across our sky. He made the beaches and clear water and hot sand. He made the cool morning breeze. He made every animal, every species, And he made people, people who can love and reason and think and care. He made this world, he made this universe, he made this canvas, his artwork. Yet what does this physical creation do? Well, the psalm says, the heavens declare, the skies proclaim. Well, what? They declare and they proclaim the glory of God The work of his hands. In other words, this artwork of creation, it directs people up. It directs people to the divine artist. See, the beauty, the grandeur, the color that we see in creation, it causes our hearts to look up. John Calvin, the famous theologian, said, creation is the theater of God's glory. And the verbs in in the Hebrew that are used here, declare, proclaim, pouring out speech, they're ongoing. Which means creation never stops directing us upward. It does it day after day and night after night, even though as it says this in verse 3, there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In other words, it does this even though creation is not audibly speaking, as Blake said. But David here in this psalm, he he narrows down on an example of the sun. And he says this about the sun. He says, in the in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. See, the sun, this ball of heat inside reaching up to 15 million degrees Celsius is this huge, huge ball of power and might it is 330,000 times the size of our planet and God has put it in place and, and we on earth, we, we orbit it. We see it rise and set on our horizon and it's like a groom coming out of his chamber or like an athlete running his course or well, other people think no, not, not an athlete but perhaps a warrior charging into battle. All these events Back when this psalm was written, we were all public events. And David's trying to show us that the sun and, in fact, all of creation, they publicly declare the glory of God. It is seen for all. Where is God in the darkness? Where well, he shines. He is far from hidden. He is not hiding. And as we come to the New Testament we see that the apostle Paul he picks up this idea of creation in his book to the church at Rome. And so let's turn there now if you've got a Bible, to the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 we read this: For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. What's Paul saying here in Romans? Well, he's saying that God has made his invisible attributes known. We can see through creation what God's like. We can see his power, his might, more of his glory. And that means as people, because we have this knowledge We're actually without excuse. No one can hide from the heat of God's judgment. We'll come to that more in a little bit. But firstly, where is God? How does he reveal himself to us? Well, firstly, he reveals himself to us in creation. And theologically speaking, that is known as God's general revelation of himself. However, the psalm continues and shows that God secondly reveals himself to us through scripture, through his word. See, creation is awesome. It gives us knowledge, but it doesn't provide us with saving knowledge, what we saw from uh, what we see in in the Bible. It starts us on the journey to God, but it doesn't lead us to the personal God. It doesn't lead us to his name and how he works, and that's why we have God's Word, Scripture, which is theologically known as God's special revelation to us. And let's see what the psalmist says about the law, but also that extends to God's all of God's instructions and precepts, which is the Bible. And so we're going to look at um, Psalm 19 verses seven to eleven, and there are six big movements in this section, and so we're going to go over these six big movements firstly verse 7 it says the instruction or the Torah or the law of the Lord is perfect the law but also in fact all of scripture all of God's instructions they're without flaw and that leads to the renewing of one's life to the soul's revival as we repent Secondly, verse 7, the testimony, of the, Lord, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. I mean, I think sometimes as people we, we have trouble with trust because there's all these broken relationships and broken trust, but that is not so when it comes to God's word. It is trustworthy. And this makes the inexperienced wise. wise. Just as good street signs lead us in the right direction, so God's word leads the inexperienced, all people, to wisdom and to life. That's the second. Third movement we see in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, they are straight, and they make the heart glad. Or they bring joy, they bring real joy as we dive in, even in a dark world. Movement 4, verse 8. The command of the Lord is radiant. Now that word radiant could also and is often translated to be the sun. And so just as the sun shines in all its brilliant glory, so God's word does. It makes things known, it exposes things. And as it does, it says, and it makes the eyes light up. Just as you have an indoor plant that's shriveled up in a dark corner once it is hit with a ray of sunlight, you see it enliven and be revived and refreshed. So is the soul that comes. So is the person that comes to God's word. Movement 5, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord that comes from... The word of the Lord is pure, again without fault, and it endures forever. We're all too aware that we live in a changing world with, with so much changing around us. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And lastly, the sixth movement, we see the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and there is great reward in keeping them. David saying, God, your word is. Is so reliable and it's so trustworthy. And that means it is more sweet, not than just regular honey, but drops from the honeycomb. It is sweeter than that and it is more desirable and valuable than not just gold, but pure gold. What a treasure chest we have in this book. For this book... In it, we, we meet the living God. Where is God? Is he playing hide and seek? Is he hiding from us? As we see from Psalm 19, God, he, he's revealing himself. He has revealed himself and continues to through creation and through his word. And so let me urge you guys in this season as, as we're in isolation and we can't meet physically, spend some time in, in God's creation. Let it lift up your hearts as it shows you more of God's glory. But also let me encourage you to be spending time sitting at God's feet, spending time in his word, this treasure chest, this honeypot. I think some of us find it hard to spend time in in God's word because sometimes we view it as, as merely a textbook. And I pray that God would reframe our thinking that we would remember that this is God's breathed-out word. The instructions he has given us to delight in, to feast on, to guide us, to give us wisdom and hope. I pray that in this season we'd make it a priority to, to listen. If that means booking it in your calendar, then do that. Psalm 19 is God's witness. Yet as as Psalm 19 goes on, and you probably realize this, there's that bit at the end that some of us aren't sure what to do with. But I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about that from verses 12 to 14. What David is saying here, let's read it. He says this, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me then I'll be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What's happening here? What's David doing? Because he's just been telling us how God shows himself and how we see more of what God is like, and now he's come to really be convicted of his own sin. What's happening? Well, we know from the Bible that God is holy. God is set apart, kind of like the blazing sun. And because God is holy, he cannot dwell with sin. He cannot have sin near him. And the Bible says that as people, we all are by nature sinners, every single one of us. And so as David, as he has been thinking about God, as he's been thinking about his glory, his holiness. His sin has been brought into the light. It's been exposed. He's now brought under conviction of sin, which is normal. And that's why he's just going, God, what about my sins that are just unintentional and I do without thinking? And then he says, God, cleanse me. Don't let my sin rule over me. May the meditations of my heart and and my thoughts, may they be pleasing to you and acceptable to you. It's a good prayer to pray as he's convicted of his sin. But how does God answer that prayer? How does God answer the prayer of, of David but all of us for us to be made pure? How does God answer that prayer for our sins and our secret sins and everything that we've done in rebellion against God, how does God answer that so that our sin is forgiven? How can our thoughts and meditations be pleasing to him? Are we the answer? Just by trying harder not to sin? Well, no, David gives us the answer right at the end. The answer is God and and he says, well, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. See, the third and the fullest way God has revealed himself to us is ultimately through his son that he sent. See, a thousand years after this psalm was written, in the Gospel of John we read that there was the word, or in Greek, the logos, the one who was with God and who was God. And this word, he, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. His name is Jesus. This man, God's son, he lived and he died. And because we are without excuse because of our sin, this son, he, he took the heat of God's judgment that we deserved. He took it there upon the cross. But he didn't stay dead. The grave couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose. He rose back to new life. And when he did, we read of this interesting scene in Luke's gospel. He goes along a road to a place called Emmaus and he draws alongside two very despondent disciples. The disciples don't recognize Jesus. The disciples are wondering What's happening? Because they'd they'd heard rumors that Jesus had come back to life and they're trying to piece it all together. They're trying to see what it all means. And as Jesus comes alongside these two guys, what does he do? He opens up the treasure chest. He opens up the honeypot. He brings us to the Old Testament and he shows them something incredible. He shows them the golden thread that all of Scripture points to, which is himself. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 says this, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact impression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I asked the question at the start, where is, where is God in this dark situation? Some of you may be thinking, is God playing a game of hide and seek? I guess he is in a way with us, but we're the ones trying to hide. We're the ones trying to hide from him, and yet he is the all powerful God seeking after us, making himself known to us through creation, although tainted by sin, is still beautiful, through his word, and ultimately through his son. His son the only one willing and able to make us clean, to cleanse us, to forgive us, the son who is our rock and our redeemer. I pray that in this week leading up to Easter, this week leading up to Good Friday and Easter, we would take time to stop, take time in in God's world and in God's word to consider the son, to reflect on him, our Redeemer. Amen.